Welcome to the Strange Catholics Podcast. I'm your host, Phil, joined as always by Terry in Minnesota with me and Bob in Virginia. We are three distinct voices bringing varied perspectives on the church and the world into the conversation. We want you to join in the conversation. You can do so by going to anchor.fm forward slash strange Catholics and leaving a message there. You may also email us at strangecatholicspod at gmail.com. Please remember to rate this podcast on iTunes or wherever you're listening and share with one person. We used to gather around a table at Caribou Coffee. It's a coffee house in Minnesota in the Midwest. But now we gather virtually in hopes that these conversations will be a light for you as they are for us. Now, let us begin this week's conversation. Welcome to the Strange Catholic Show. This is Season 2, Episode 4, or Episode 46 if you're keeping count. Thank you so much for joining us. We want to call more people over to our YouTube channel because there's not very many people watching, so we definitely need you to click on the link in the description and go ahead and watch us. Uh, Bob is indicating that we don't have very many views, so please uh, go over there and subscribe right away. Do it now, then come back to the podcast. Thanks. Today we're going to talk about, we'll have Bob's first cup. Our main topic this week is on purgatory, and we actually hope to have a guest next week, if possible, to have a discussion on indulgences, purgatory, just expanding on this topic a little bit. Our patron, our saint spotlight, I should say, is St. Thomas More. We'll turn it over to Terry for opening prayer. Thank you, Phil. Good evening to both of you, my brothers. Uh, good to be gathered once again and as we gather let's begin in the name of the father and the son and of the holy spirit amen gracious and heavenly father you brought us through this beautiful day this feast day sunday the 12th sunday in ordinary time we thank you so much for the gift of coming together in worship as a unified body of christ we also thank you for the gift of coming together as unified podcasts to worship your gracious and holy name. As we move forward, please send your Holy Spirit down upon our discussion. Give us the words that you would have us say to bring people into a closer relationship with you. Draw them into your love and your grace and your mercy. And we pray all these things through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Turning Amen. it over to you, Bob. Hey, guys. Hey, uh, so for the intro today, let's talk about a couple different things real quick here. Try to bring it up on my computer screen so there was a supreme court uh, ruling here in the last week does anybody know what that was about a couple probably to note well the, the i think the one that i'm noting right now is the one uh, that uh, in, a, in a unanimous decision this was on the 17th of june the supreme court said that a catholic social, social service agency should not have been excluded from the Philadelphia foster care program 
because it did not accept same-sex couples as foster parents. Do you, did either of you hear that one? Yes. I, I'm sorry. I missed that one. I apologize. Okay. Well, that's why you should be listening to the podcast. Although the court said Philadelphia's anti-discrimination laws put an unfair burden on Philadelphia's Catholic social services, justice did not issue a sweeping ruling on religious rights overturn its previous decision involving religious liberty in the Employment Division v. Smith case. Uh, Chief Justice Roberts wrote the, the uh, he wrote the opinion in the Fulton v. Philadelphia case, that's what we're talking about here, saying that uh, the service agency only seeks only an accommodation that will allow it to continue serving the children of Philadelphia in a manner consistent with religious beliefs and does not seek to impose those beliefs on anyone else. So it's it's not like uh, trying to push Catholic social teaching on everybody else. It's just that we have our rules and beliefs and the way we do things. So, so I mean, that's, that's the crux of that one. To, Phil, do you have a comment on this one at all before I move on? I mean, it's always good when the court can side on the can see that there was a discrimination there. And it was, from what I recall, it was almost as if they singled out Catholic Charities and what their mission was, if I if I remember correctly, because there were other adoption agencies that were not specifically, uh, as this case ruled, um, were not being targeted the same way. So this was something that seems specific to Catholic charities and not other adoption agencies in Philadelphia. So the adversarial point of view, which was offered by Leslie Griffith, a law professor at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. Um, let's see what she said. She was struggling with just how much religious freedom should we say religions get she said the court ruling will impact the legal landscape for LGBTQ rights, noting that if the justices find there's a First Amendment right to violate anti-discrimination laws, it will significantly restrict the freedom of LGBTQ people in numerous religious institutions, school, hospitals, nursing homes, and doing business with the government. And I think that's an overreach by her, but but it's a legitimate question. I mean... This is where we get into the balance of of these types of things. So on this podcast, we would say all LGBTQ folks have rights because they're Americans and they're humans, so they have rights. Um, that doesn't mean, though, that those rights extend into all organizations. I mean, organiza- you know, organizations have their views, right, and so on. So it, it's kind of a difficult balance between anti-discrimination law and what should be considered anti-discrimination and what should be considered religious freedom. <clears throat> so I don't, we're not, we're going to see a lot more cases like this. U.S. bishops approved drafting of Eucharistic document. We had a long conversation about this before. We did. We came on here. The, the measure passed 168 to 55 with six abstentions. Is that what you were tracking? Yep. 
so quite a big majority because only yeah. a simple majority was required. Yeah, so as we talked about, was that two episodes ago when we talked about you? Yeah, it's coherence? an extensive debate over voting to authorize the drafting document of teaching do- a teaching document on the Eucharist. We did talk about it two podcasts ago. Uh, a proposed outline of the document provided by the doctrine committee included the church's teaching on the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist Sunday as a holy day, the Eucharist as a sacrifice, and the worthy the worthiness to receive communion, which is where the real rub is in this document in regards to pulling the faith, uh, pulling in political leaders into this, i.e. the president. Right, and other prominent political leaders. <clears throat> right. <clears throat> and there's some and there's some blowback from this. I mean, you know, we talked about this pre-podcast and uh you know the unfortunate part is because of how politicized the country is generally and how specifically polarizing abortion is whether or not it's not the only issue here but it is the issue in the forefront because of its polarization you get a lot of the right-wing and some of the fringe right wing that you don't really want to associate with latching onto this as some sort of victory for their side. And then the left wing, like here, Democratic Ted Lieu, who's from California, accuses Catholic Catholic bishops of hypocrisy and dares the church to deny him community. So you get both sides of that, that debate. And unfortunately, you know, it's, it's where we discuss the, on the pre-podcast podcast about, you know, where do we go from here? <clears throat> I don't blame the, the, the bishops for, for doing this. I don't think it's wrong. I think we need to be reinforce our beliefs. We need to teach our beliefs. We need to be better about teaching our beliefs yep. and we need, and we need to have some backbone in that. But yet at the same time, we want to try to avoid being too much in the political arena and we are kind of throwing red meat to both sides of that. So it's just really a difficult balance. I agree. I, it is a difficult balance. And I think where, where do we justify withholding communion at what point, you know, I, I think, and I made this comment, I believe uh, when we discussed this a couple of weeks back on the podcast, what's to say a politician's public support of gay marriage, to use as an example, uh, is any more grave of a sin than uh, the sin that a parishioner is committing in the privacy of their own home. But that sin is not out there in the public view. And this individual, this politician, whomever they may be, is in the public view. And we as a as a large entity are trying to hold them to some accountability as we would you know even say uh, you know our priests and our bishops as well all right well that's it for the first cup let's transition to the main topic which is a place that many of these people may be if they don't repent and Phil's going to talk about it. Yeah, that great introduction. Thanks, Bob. 
So purgatory, what is it? What are we talking about? This is something that I, I would say a lot of non-Catholics struggle with. Um, those that have come into the church, maybe this is something they struggle with. And maybe Catholics don't really understand what purgatory is. This sounds like um, jail kind of a thing. Uh, I've, heard, I've heard a lot of different comments. So purgatory is this. So at, at when we talk about the four last things, that's death, judgment, heaven, or hell, right? So at the moment of death, we have our particular judgment. That's when we are judged for the things we did, the things we didn't do, right? And then we, whatever that judgment is, either we're aiming towards heaven or we're not. So when we get there, it very well, it will more than likely be, unless you lived a saintly life. <laughs> Although Deacon Andy will get more into indulgences and how we can be released from some of these um, stains of sin that even though we're cleansed in the sacrament of reconciliation, we still have some cleansing to do before we're in the presence of Almighty God in heaven. So purgatory is, it's, some would say, it's it's not really like a place in quotes, right? But it is a process. So it's that cleansing. It could be instantaneous, where as soon as we die and that judgment happens, then boom, purgatory. But we, it's outside of time, right? Most would say that purgatory is outside of time, just like heaven is outside of time. So it's, it's not something that's bound by some of the created world that God has given us. So purgatory is something that even the early church fathers would talk about. And we read about that in scripture from, uh, in Matthew's gospel. We can read about it in, um, uh, St. Paul's first letter to the Corinthians as well. And we can see this cleansing fire and Jesus even speaks of this cleansing fire. And so what purgatory is, is that final cleansing, like we talked about. So, a couple early church father quotes that I think are relevant. If we go back to, you know, within the first couple centuries, we already have these references to this period of purification. And if you go to the, we'll go more into praying for people that died and we'll talk about Maccabees as time allows. So there's a, an early Christian ins, uh, inscription that dates back to the year 150. And in that, they're trying to be very cryptic and not trying to indicate who they are, who their loved ones are, because they're still under great persecution as early Christians. But this inscription, I think, tells a lot. So it says, my mother is Eucharist and my father is pious. I pray you, O brethren, to pray when you come here and ask in your common prayers the Father and the Son. May it be in your minds to remember, dear Agape, that the omnipotent God may keep Agape safe forever. And again, this this is dating back to the year 150. So they're using some code here is what is believed that um, they're trying to use some code to keep it general enough that anyone that's reading this is not just picking it up. But those that are Christians are going to know what this means. Uh, it's keeping the identity hidden. But again, God knows who we're praying for. So that's that's part of it. Just, you can already see the instance of this. And then I think we've talked about St. Perpetua and St. Felicity on our podcast before. Maybe not. Terry's not giving me a affirmative. So I'm going to say probably not. But anyways, 
So these are two no, beautiful. We have not yet. Perfect. Well, then maybe we might have to do that sometime. But anyways, these are two beautiful martyrs that were so faithful in their witness. And prior to their, you know, before they were martyred, they asked for prayers. And she, uh, Perpetua was given a vision of her brother being in a very gloomy place where there were a lot of others. He was very thirsty with a... Uh, he looked, you know, pale in color, and he had a wound on his face. And uh, so she asked for prayers for him and offers up sacrifices for him, as do many of the community. And then she later sees a vision where he's now finding refreshment, and he's now able to play joyously as children do. And then she understood that that place of punishment was then removed. And this is from 8203. So this isn't like a brand new thing or even a thing from the Middle Ages or something. This is something that's been going all the way back. There's even references to the Didache, but I was not able to link those. So I'm not going to specifically talk about those. But we have um, the, the opportunity, I think, to remember those that are in purgatory in our prayers. So we talked about purgatory being this place of cleansing. We'll link to the catechisms uh, articles on that specifically, but it's so important for us to remember those that have died in our prayers, in our sacrifices, because our prayers do have a benefit, as we just read about from St. Perpetua. So even as she's undergoing great trials, she's offering up some of her sacrifices and asking for the prayers of others for her brother. And then was given that that blessing of that of that now release from his punishment. And I, I think that's it's so important to remember this within the context of the last things, right? Our goal should be to get to heaven. And we want as many people praying storming heaven on our on the behalf of our souls or the souls of our faithful departed, so that they are able to see heaven and see heaven quickly so then they can intercede for us. So a question I've had before is, well, what if I'm praying for someone that's already in heaven? Well, God has the the benefit to to bring our prayer where it needs to go, right? So if that person's already in heaven, that person can already be interceding for us. Or God can take our prayer and, you know, place it for the next person that needs prayers. So because we're praying for a specific person and oh, they're already in heaven, well, we can st- if we don't if we don't know that because the church hasn't made that declaration, then we can have our prayers still be very efficacious. And we know from many 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 saints throughout the millennia that these prayers that we pray for those that have died, especially if we can name them by name, if we can have masses offered for those that have died, that is a very it, it has such great benefit for those souls in purgatory. Uh, sometimes people will ask, you know, why do we need why do we need this cleansing if we already, you know, were reconciled mostly? Well, it's because even though maybe the wound has been healed, right? Our wound of sin, we still have a scar there, and we need that scar to be removed completely. So any attachment we had, any, you know, re- any kind of anything that was left behind from our sins, right, that we've committed that. Even though our souls have been washed clean, we still have that cleansing that cleansing process that has to happen. I don't want to say that cleansing time. Uh, trying to keep time out of the conversation. 
Um, so it, it, we can see all throughout the church's history that uh, even um, going back, so I mentioned the praying for others. So in, in Maccabees, we can read, so from the Old Testament, we can read where they see a benefit in praying for those that have died, and they ask for those for those for the soldiers, if I'm not mistaken, to actually pray for the souls of those that have died. This is still carried on into Jewish culture today, where they will practice this period of praying for those that have died. So this isn't like a brand new thing, like the church just invented it. This is something that, because of the richness of you know all of many of those that were the first apostles had a Jewish background, and this was something that was held for some of those that were Jewish. Not all of them, because the the Pharisees did hold those, and those that followed the Pharisees, but the Sadducees did not, and that's why they're sad, you see, because they did not believe in this. Yeah, uh-huh, yeah. I learned that from Father Richard Simon. That's not my own thing, but... Anyways, uh, Terry, what do you got on purgatory? What kind of comments do you want to talk about? Well, you're right, Phil. It's, it is not anything new. Um, it's been recognized in the church for um, a very, very, very long time. Um, I had this actually had a discussion. I had uh, my meeting with my spiritual director uh, late last week. Uh, had a discussion with him on purgatory, and I really loved his words. So purgatory is not a punishment. God is not punishing us and sending us to this place for this cleansing, okay? It is because of our human imperfection and because we are all fallen, it is a time, sorry, I know you want to stay away from time. It's so it hard is, to stay away. It is. It is because time is so much a part of our daily language. Um, it is where we come to be prepared to be in God's presence and be cleansed. And I really loved his explanation. I'm probably not doing it really great justice, but that is... Uh, those were uh, his words, and I thought it was absolutely spot on perfect about how we can look at purgatory. Really, it, it does. And I've heard Catholics uh, use this, you know, this is a punishment. This is where you're, you know, you're going because you didn't do right in this world. No, 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 no. We are all fallen and we're all forgiven because we have a loving and merciful God. But there is that stretch, without using the word time, there is that stretch where we do need to be cleansed to be in God's presence, and that's where purgatory comes in. I mean, something uh, that really is usually misunderstood quite a bit, and so what I uh, recommend is that people go and do some more reading on this so they understand a little bit more about purgatory. So, okay. Let's take a short break, and then we'll be right back with Saint Spotlight. Stay with us. Saint Spotlight with Terry Jensik. Thank you, Bob. And this week we are profiling actually uh, somebody who I have a great fascination and great admiration for, Saint Thomas More. Saint Thomas 
has his feast day on June the 22nd. He is the patron saint of adopted children, lawyers, civil servants, court clerks, politicians, and difficult marriages. And no, that is not why I uh, have a great fascination with St. Thomas More. My marriage is great. I love my wife. Don't anybody take that the wrong way. Actually, the reason St. Thomas, I'm greatly endeared to St. Thomas More is because here is a man who faced great persecution. We'll be talking about that in a minute um, from uh, the King of England and was had his life threatened and still stood up for his faith in his belief. And I just uh, admire anybody that can do that uh, under those circumstances, especially. So Thomas More was born in Milk Street, London, on February 7th, 1478. He is the son of Sir John Moore, a prominent judge and attorney, and his wife, Agnes Grogner, the first wife of John. John would have four other wives during his wife life, but each of them died, leaving John as a widower. Thomas had two brothers and three sisters, but three of his siblings also died within a year of their birth. Such tragedies were common in England during this time. Thomas received a classical education at, from the age of six at St. Anthony's School in London, which was said to be one of the best schools at that time. In 1490, he became a household page to John Morton, the Archbishop of Canterbury and Lord Chancellor of England. Archbishop Morton was a Renaissance man and inspired Thomas to pursue his own education. He would also uh, later on uh, go on to become a cardinal. Now, the future cardinal at the time that he was Archbishop was a shrewd judge of character, and he predicted that Thomas would be a bright star and proved to be a marvelous man. Thomas More entered Oxford in 1492. During this time, he wrote comedies and studied Greek and Latin literature. In 1494, he left Oxford to become a lawyer, and he trained in London until 1502, when he finally was approved to begin practice. Almost as soon as Thomas More became a lawyer, he found himself contemplating another path in life. For two years, between 1503 and 1504, Moore lived next to the Carthusian Monastery, and he found himself called to follow their lifestyle of simple piety. He often joined their spiritual exercises. But by 1504, Moore had decided to remain in the secular world and stood for election to Parliament. But he did not forget the pious monks who inspired his practice of faith. Thomas Moore did get married. Uh, his first wife was Jane Colt. Uh, they were married in 1505. They would have four children together before her death during childbirth in 1511. Their marriage was reportedly a happy one, and Thomas often tutored her in music in, and in literature. In 1509, King Henry VIII had acceded to the throne. 
For years, the king had shown fondness for Thomas, working to further his career as a public servant. Eventually, he would become a part of the king's inner circle. Thomas More became Lord Chancellor in 1529. During his tenure as Lord Chancellor, Moore prosecuted those accused of heresy and worked tirelessly to defend the Catholic faith in England. However, in 1530, as Henry worked to obtain an annulment from his wife, Catherine, Thomas More refused to sign a letter to the Pope requesting the annulment. This was Moore's first time going against King Henry VIII. The king wanted an annulment because of his marriage to Catherine of Aragon, and Catherine would, was not able to produce for him a male heir to the throne. That is why he was seeking an annulment. But this marriage, Pope Clement VII declared to be valid and undissolvent. Uh, The relationship between Moore and Henry strained again when seeking to isolate Moore, Henry purged many of the clergy who supported the Pope. It became clear to all that Henry was prepared to break away from the church in Rome, something Thomas Moore knew he could not condone. Now here's where the where the uh, kind of the drama between Thomas More and King Henry VIII really comes to a head. In 1532, Saint Thomas found himself unable to work for Henry VIII, whom he felt he had lost his way as a Catholic. Faced with the prospect of being compelled to actively support Henry's schism with the Church, More offered his resignation, citing failing health. Henry accepted it although he was unhappy with what he viewed as flagging loyalty. In 1533, Moore refused to attend the coronation of Anne Boleyn, who was now the Queen of England. Moore instead wrote a letter of congratulations. The letter, as opposed to his direct presence, offended King Henry greatly. The king viewed Moore's absence as an insult to his new queen and an undermining of his authority as head of the church and state. In 1534, Henry VIII declared that every subject of the British crown would have to swear an oath affirming the validity of his new marriage to Anne Boleyn. Refusal of these demands would be regarded as treason against the state. In April of that year, a royal commission summoned Thomas to force him to take the oath, affirming the king's new marriage as valid. While accepting certain portions of the act which pertained to Henry's royal line of succession, he would not accept the king's defiance of papal authority on the marriage question. Moore was taken from his wife and his children and imprisoned in the Tower of London. For 15 months, Moore's wife and several friends try to convince him to take the oath and save his life, but he refused. In 1535, while Moore was imprisoned, an act of parliament came into effect, declaring Henry VIII to be the only supreme head on earth 
of the church in England. Once again, under penalty of treason, members of the clergy who would not take the oath began to be executed. In June of 1535, Moore was finally indicated and formally tried for the crime of treason in Westminster Hall. He was charged with opposing the king's act of supremacy in private conversations, which Thomas More insisted had never occurred. But after his defense failed, he was sentenced to death. He finally spoke out in opposition to what he had previously opposed through silence and refusal. More explained that Henry's act of supremacy was contrary to the laws of God and his holy church. He explained that no temporal prince could take away the prerogative that belonged to St. Peter and his successors, according to the words of Christ. When he was told that most of the English bishops had accepted the king's order, Moore replied that the saints in heaven did not accept it. On July 6, 1535, the 1557-year-old Moore came before the executioner to be beheaded. He said, I die the king's good servant, but God's first. His head was displayed on London Bridge, but later returned to his daughter Margaret, who preserved it as a holy relic of her father. Thomas More's belief that no lay ruler has jurisdiction over the Church of Christ did cost him his life. St. Thomas More was beatified by Pope Leo XIII in 1886, and he was canonized in 1935 by Pope Pius XI. St. Thomas More, pray for us. Pray for pray us. For us beautiful saint and witness. Anglican. They formed the Anglican Church out of that. Uh, that was what the Anglican Church became. Anglican uh, priests are a lot like Catholic priests in many ways. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. But a man who stood up for his, his beliefs and his strong convictions even when faced with death. What a great model for all of us as Catholics. Indeed. Very yes. much so. All right, it's come to that time of the show, that time of the show where we ask you, our listeners, our faithful listeners, to rate us. Now, I think five would be the best to rate us because that's the top, and that helps other people find our show and makes us look good. You know, please don't put me in purgatory. Please rate me five, okay? So I'd appreciate that from all of you out there. Uh, also, a couple other things. Leave us a comment. Leave us a comment or a prayer request. We're here to pray with you, for you, for your family, uh, that type of thing. So please leave us a prayer request or leave us a comment, a show. Uh, you liked our show, you didn't like our show. We had a comment a couple of weeks ago that wasn't, you know, it was somewhat critical, but it was good. I mean, it was good constructive criticism for us to 
to talk about and, and stuff like that and make the show better. So, so please do that. So you can leave that on all those podcast platforms, but a much better place to do it is at strangecatholicspod@gmail.com. You can also leave us a voice message at anchor.fm forward slash strange Catholics. And please subscribe to the YouTube channel where you can yes. see us. <laughs> Sorry. Yes. The YouTube. I got to get that into my script. Please watch and subscribe to the YouTube channel so you can see the sunset. All right. Time for closing prayer. Bill. Let us begin in the name of the father and of the son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we just ask you to hear these prayers we bring before you, these spoken and those that we hold in our hearts. We ask that you please reach down and touch all of those that we're praying for. Give them your peace, your mercy, your grace. We pray for the protection of life from conception until natural death. Pray for all those that are poor and in impoverished countries and those that are struggling, that those that have are able to give to those in need. Do not be waste and fraud, but instead, Lord, that our efforts to help those in need be blessed by your hands. Pray for those that are pregnant, those that are struggling to become pregnant, those are those that are carrying that heavy cross of infertility, that you would reach down and bless all of them, protect them, keep them safe. We pray for marriage, especially for Brandon and Kate, who just received this sacrament on Saturday, asking for St. Thomas More's intercession, especially for those that are struggling in their marriage. Pray for the repose of Karen's soul and for all the faithful departed. Eternal rest grant unto her, O Lord, and, and let perpetual light shine upon her. May her soul and all the souls of the faithful departed, through the mercy of God, rest in peace. Pray for all those that are sick, especially for Jim, for, and for healing for all. You, Lord, you are the divine physician. We just ask you to please reach down your healing hand. Pray all these things in accordance with your will, through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you, in unity with the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. In the name Amen. of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much, Phil. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. And until next time, love you, brothers. Love you, brothers. Love you, brothers. Thank you for listening to this episode of Strange Catholics. We hope that you enjoyed the conversation and it helps you dive into a deeper reflection and union with our Lord Jesus Christ. If you'd like to leave some feedback, please go to anchor.fm forward slash strange Catholics to leave a voice message, or you may also send us an email at strangecatholicspod at gmail.com. Links will be in the description. Please share this podcast and this episode with at least one person. This will help get the word out and get more people to join into the conversation. Please subscribe to this podcast and leave a review on iTunes or wherever you are listening to us. This really helps the podcast get traction and help even more people discover the peace, love, and mercy that our Lord offers and is longing to offer each and every one of us. Thank you again for listening. Have a glorious day and may God bless you.